Friends, our second lesson is from the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, and the compassionate in cheerfulness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, who could stand before you and proclaim your word were it not for the Holy Spirit? It is my prayer that your spirit would be in this moment of preaching so strongly that it all would be of you. Let everything that is human fall away and let us grow this day in our faith and be transformed evermore into the people you are calling us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many years ago, in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, he talked about the difficulty that organizations and clubs sometimes have when it comes to deciding who gets to be a member. The problem is this. You want to make sure your membership standard is low enough that people can come in, that you can welcome new people into your club or organization. But at the same time, you want to make sure the membership standard is high enough that being a member actually means something. He says most successful organizations or clubs find that sweet spot somewhere in the middle so that people can be invited in, but that also being a member actually means something. The Apostle Paul knows that all that is required to be the church is belief in Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul also says, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are then to offer your very life to Christ, to have Christ guide you and to make you into the person God has called you to be. 
I imagine the Apostle Paul might not have been very popular saying, come, have belief in Christ, then we're going to take your whole life. It is a hard message sometimes, yes? This letter to these people in the church in Rome, it is widely regarded as the deepest and most thorough development of the Apostle Paul's theology, and it is, mostly because it was written later than all of the letters. Paul has spent considerable time figuring out what he believes and how the witness of Christ should be lived out in churches, but it's also a pastoral letter because that church in Rome is struggling, and they are confused. They are beset on all sides with a culture that tells them that they should do anything but be true to God, still true today to a certain extent, yes? They are bombarded with messages of who they should be and how they should live, and Paul wants to remind them that they belong to God and that they belong to one another, but we'll get to that in a minute. The Apostle Paul spends the beginning part of the book of Romans reminding people that there was a time when we tried to live in the way that God wanted us to and we failed over and over again. That we had these laws that had been given by Moses and we tried to live them out. But if we were to stand in front of the Lord God, Paul knows we would stand there and we would be found deficient because we just couldn't follow them out perfectly. And so the Lord God works through the prophets to call the people back to the way. And then finally, God comes to us as God's self in the person of Jesus Christ and says, you are forgiven for all the ways that you fall short. Embrace that forgiveness and go back out and live for Christ again. Now, if you are like me, I have known the love of Jesus in some way, I think, for a very long time. And there are days when, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'll do it just for you. There are days when I think if I were called home and stood before God, he would say, you've done okay. I mean, you're a pretty good person, right? I haven't broken a lot of those commandments. But here's what Paul knows and what is true for you too, whether you know it or not. The times when we have been able to do the right and good thing, the times when we have made the good decision over and over again, we have been able to do that because of God's grace and blessing. If you are a person who has learned to love others, you shouldn't pat yourself on the back for being a good lover of people. You were given that gift and that grace. Here's what anyone who has been truly broken knows. When your back is against the wall, and you have been hungry for a very long time, you will still to eat. When your life or the life of the people you love is at stake, you will kill to keep them safe. That's who we are as humans. And all of the times when you've been able to do the right thing, it's because you've been blessed by God and because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. 
That's who we are as human beings. And so Paul says, don't forget who you are. Remember his beautiful line, oh, wretched man that I am, I do the thing I don't want to do and I don't do the thing I know is right. Can you find yourself in that statement? Because I certainly can. And so Paul says, if you truly know who you are, if you know that sin is always close at hand, then you should be utterly changed by the gift of Jesus Christ. We are offered this gift of forgiveness and love and welcomed into the presence of God. And Paul says there is only one response for that, and it is to give your whole life right back. Paul wants people to grow in their faith. You should be a different Christian today than you were yesterday and a different and better Christian tomorrow than you are today. We are to use the gifts that we have been given, our minds, and we are to offer our very lives as a living sacrifice to God. You will fail over and over again as I have, but we will be offered forgiveness and called to turn back to the way of Christ. I would very much like to be struck perfect, but it hasn't and will not happen. Instead, we are called every day to try to welcome more of the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we may truly recognize that we belong only to God. And then Paul goes on to say, never forget that you belong to one another too. We belong to one another as Christians because the minute we profess profess faith in Jesus Christ, we become the church. And so we are called to guide one another, to love one another, to help one another, and then even to take that out into the world. This is the calling And this sounds hard and difficult, but make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is with us, guiding us in every way. You have been given gifts that you are called to use for Christ's kingdom in the world. Maybe that gift is preaching sometimes. You're called to do it. Maybe your gift is welcoming people. Guess what? You're called to do it. And the Apostle Paul tells us, There is no hierarchy. One gift is not better than another because all the gifts at their heart are just one person giving what they can out of their love for God. We belong to God and we belong to one another. And there is no such thing as a profession of faith without those two things. So to end, I'm going to leave you with the words from two theologians. One is John Calvin. The other theologian is Brian Bulger, my husband. (laughs) I came to faith as an adult, and I came to a place where I believed in God, and through prayer and conversation, I came to a place where I believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In my heart, I was being asked, who, Tara, do you say that I am? And after some time, I was able to say, you are the son of God. And so I told Brian this, 
And we thought that maybe we should start looking for a church. And at one point I said to Brian, but do we really need a church? I mean, I confess my faith. It's really about a personal relationship, right? You know what I was asking? Maybe we're spiritual, but not religious. And that theologian, the wise man that I married said to me, that just seems really convenient to me. To not be a part of a community who can help us grow and who can teach us the word of God. And I'm pretty sure Jesus wants us to be in that community and to also offer some sort of service back. If we just sit at home and profess the faith of Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to start looking a lot like us. And we're going to be able to justify whatever we want. We need to be in community. We need to be spiritual and religious. And I am grateful for that because it has been the greatest blessing of my life to be the church with you. But now let's leave you with the words from John Calvin. He has written, We are not our own. In so far as we can, let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we belong to God. Let us, therefore, live for God and die for God. We belong to God. Let God's wisdom and will, therefore, rule all of our actions. We belong to God. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as the only lawful goal. It's tempting to think that by recognizing we are God's, we will lose ourselves. It has been my experience over and over again that only by recognizing I am God's can I find myself and my purpose in the world. May it be so for all of humanity. Amen.